0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com. I remember one time we were in uh, Bozeman, Montana. We were traveling in through the hills there, and I remember that we crashed into a, a snowbank in in the hills. You know, God knows what was on the other side of that snowbank. I don't like to think about it. And I remember sitting there thinking, people being quite relaxed about it, and exactly like you mentioned earlier on, it's like even if I freeze to death, there's a lot better than sitting in the office getting told off because I didn't hit my targets. This is what I was meant to do. If I, if I die doing it, then so be it. You know, I'd rather live. For, I'd rather live for twenty years on on the plains being free than live fifty years sat in a cage in a zoo. And I, I guess that's, that's how I, 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 I think about life sometimes.
1: Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Media, and Evergreen Podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. Hope you had a killer weekend. I most certainly did. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal are Montreal's premier metal promoter, and they have a massive amount of killer gigs coming through Montreal throughout the month of November, Merciful Fate is here with Creator at Midnight on November 11th, Vola is here with Earthside on November 13th Three Days Grace is coming with The Warning and The Standstills on November 20th, and the Trinity of Terror Tour featuring Ice Kills Nines, Black Veil Brides, Motionless in White, and Atreyu will be here in Montreal on November 21st. If you would like to get your tickets to any of these shows, head on over to their website, HeavyMontreal.com I have put the link to that in the description of this podcast. I will be at some of these gigs, so you most certainly should come as well. Come hang out with me at some of these Heavy Montreal Presents gigs throughout the month of November. I am beyond stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that is just like an entrepreneur, that friend that is always hustling, I would love for you to tell them that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast exists. You could tell them that there are over 370 episodes. where I sit down with some of the world's best musicians and we talk all about their life and music while sharing a craft beer. If you were to encourage one of your Hustler friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today on the podcast, I'm very stoked to be joined by John Davis of Conan. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 377. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. up everyone today i'm with john davis of conan john how you doing yeah i'm good really good thank you Matt. how are you great great it's saturday it's uh yeah for people to know it's 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 like early september mid september we're having this chat it's going to come out later as these things do but uh it was really hot and now it's sort of cooled down here in montreal and it's actually a welcome <laughs> for a change <laughs> it was really hot yeah
0: we've had like the we've had a, the press have spoken over here about us having a couple of um heat waves, but honestly we've had like a few days here and there where it's been hotter than normal. The rest of the time it's just been completely English. You know? <laughs> completely completely British I should say. And it's just been c- cold or, you know, we've had a few bit of sun, but we've not really had any hot weather. I've got freckles, so I I guess I'm quite grateful really. I don't I don't I'm not very really good with the sun. I burn very easily.
1: My wife is exactly the same, so I completely understand, especially on the freckle front. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. But it's been blazingly hot here in Montreal, so it's nice to have a little bit of a a lull. Uh, let me ask you the shittiest question I'm going to ask you from here on out. It'll be much more fun, but we got to dance through this annoying question that everyone starts with. Uh, John, how did you cope with the glorious years of 2020, 2021, most of 2022, hopefully not the rest of 2022, and most certainly, hopefully not any of 2023? How have you been doing during these wonderful times?
0: Uh, I've got a little bit greyer. I I think I should have shares in Just Eat now. I've spent that much money on takeaways. Um, And uh, actually, okay, pretty good. I I, I developed, I renewed my love for gaming. So I've just got completely and utterly into Warzone uh, in a mad way i rekindled my my affair with um eve online so i just i played those two games a, a lot during lockdown but musically you know it's, we we wrote an album basically in lockdown and recorded it towards the end of 2021 um re-recorded the album remotely for the most part and uh yeah so i mean and all, also on on a, i mean i've got i had like a, a, a management agency a record label and I, I, in, in lockdown, I developed a um, a software but with, with the help of software developers, started working on a software platform, which is like um, a networking and management um, platform specifically for the entertainment industry, you know, like being able to find the right contacts and make contact with them in a more direct and sort of um, industry specific way than you can do on Facebook, you know. Um, uh, I mean, j- just this week we're about we're about to get news on on quite a large government grant, and some we, we've got some private sector investment lines up on the back of that. So, coming out, of I was determined to come out of lockdown better than I was when I entered it. So, yeah, my life has changed quite a bit. I I got married in January two
1: thousand
0: mm-hmm. and twenty, and then my wife. Yeah, my wife is from New Zealand. Ooh. So I got married in Auckland and I was like, oh yeah, well, we'll see you in a couple of months. And then everything shut down, of course. And uh, we she wasn't able to get over here until like yeah, August, September 2020. So that was kind of an insane period. And then, of course, the whole like us being in lockdown was hard. You know, Sarah couldn't go anywhere. She's in a different country and there's, there's all the rules. So it was, that was a big challenge for us um, as a couple and um but yeah i just i was determined to come out a bit better than it was when i went in so i think i've achieved that you know a- winning on a few different fronts which
1: is good that's an excellent way to approach the pandemic and the lockdown and those years to to better yourselves i always joke that there's two ways to come out of covid either in shape or out of shape uh, sadly i've been teetering on the line thanks to uh my main passion which is craft beer but uh It seems like you've approached it in a more positive aspect. So congrats to you on that, John. Uh, The management thing, I I definitely want to talk about that a little bit more after because I think that's super interesting. And I do agree that it's extremely hard to speak with people directly without getting an introduction. So I can imagine that's like the vetting process is something that gets eliminated once you're a part of this platform. And uh, absolutely, that's crazy that your wife was in New Zealand and New Zealand being on an island, they just locked everything down, and there was no escaping, no coming. So that must have been very difficult for you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was. It was. It was a crazy time, and we're obviously, we were used to or, or accustomed to being apart from each other because of that. I mean, even before lockdown, it, Sarah could only spend a certain amount of time in the UK. Um, so we did have periods when we were apart. So that was not that weird at first. But then, just that, like. When we wanted to sort of, when she wanted to come over here, not being able to was was, was really frustrating. And we didn't know when the office there was going to open. There was no, you know, there was literally no updates whatsoever. We just had no idea when it when we were going to get this visa.
1: It's the uncertainty that kills us as humans, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was um, It was an uncertain time. Yeah, you're right, Matt. And it was like... We just, I mean, people from New Zealand are generally very, very upbeat, and generally as people, I'm so people from Liverpool, I find where I'm from. So I think we we got we got through that period quite well. The, the biggest challenge was when Sarah actually came over here and getting used to being sort of in lockdown in a uh, in a foreign country for her, because uh, up until then our lives together were all about being on tour, and you know there was always a trip around the corner somewhere cool and. To not have that, I think, was something that we had to. It was hard to accept.
1: And uh, living with people is always a challenge, especially if there's no <laughs> candy at the end of the road. That little trip that it's just the the, the lull of this is life. It's it's it's, it's a, something that we have to get. I've, luckily, I've been with my wife for 20 years, so. Oh yeah, yeah. We we, we went through that early on. The first years yeah. are the toughest for sure. And I wasn't in in a global pandemic. Uh, Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives, music, and craft beer. Uh, What beer are we going to be sharing virtually today? What beer do you have on your side? Present it to us, please.
0: Okay, so the beer I have here is... a beer that was made for us by David Perry, who's a friend of mine from Liverpool, played bass in Conan in 2012 when we did our split with Slomatics and also provided synth and um, vocoder on uh, Grief Sequence, which is the last song on our new album. And Dave, uh, in addition to being the tallest man I've ever seen, is uh he works at this brewery in Copenhagen called Dry and Bitter.
1: Really?
0: Yeah, and he works there. And um this is the second beer he's made for us. So this particular beer is like quite a hazy IPA. I'm not an expert on beer, by the way, but I know what I like. Um, hop heavy IPA brewed in collaboration with the mightiest purveyors of caveman battle doom, Conan. So that's quite a nice intro. But yeah, it's it's really nice. I, I mean, I've got a couple of boxes over here. I owe I owe a box to Chris, our bass player. I Keep telling them I'll drop it off. Hopefully, he won't drink it before he, that time comes. That never happens. But no, no, yeah. <laughs> he'll kill me if I do it. If he'll kill me if I drink it, or so not? But it's six percent. It's really good, really tasty, nice and cold. Um, I really like it. I'm more of a stout person generally. Uh, Porter and stout. And uh, in fact, last night I was drinking like this Nutella flavored stout from the place around this place called Glen Glen Affric.
1: Very cool. Very cool. And it's cool that it's David that made the beer because I was definitely going to ask about having Dave Mm -hmm. on evidence of immortality. I love when. There's like a theme with Conan that I've been seeing that you guys continually work with the same people. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's super cool. We'll touch on it later, but I'll introduce my beer first. That beer does sound really cool. I and mean, the canard is awesome. Uh, this is my brand new collab, uh, which was uh, created by La which is a very young metal brewery. It's not They're not like metal themed, but it's ran by Metal Heads from here in Montreal. And uh, it was brewed for my event that I just had. Uh, Heavy Montreal presents voxen & Hops Brutal Montreal, which was featuring deicide and cataclysm and human condition. And uh, this is Zvetli Vesepny. It's a light Czech lager, 4%. Uh, I love it, and I'm all about it. Um, let me crack this, pour it out, and while I'm doing that, I would love to hear about your very first beer, John. Do you remember the first beer that you had, and I imagine it was in a pub somewhere?
0: First beer? Um well, the first beer that I drank in a pub would have been probably Newcastle Brown Ale, which was when I was uh, a young man, and I'm talking like 15 or 16, we would sneak into the pub, and and, and I won't name the pub, but we'd sneak <laughs> in there before, before it was legal for us to do so.
1: At least it's still open. That's cool.
0: It is still open, yes. And uh, we would sneak in there and try and make our pocket money stretch as far as it could go. So for me, that was... Taking pocket, taking my lunch money from my mum, and putting it in my pocket instead of spending it at school, and instead making myself an egg sandwich after she'd gone to work, and then I would have egg, egg sandwiches on my lunch so I could drink beer on a Friday.
1: That is sacrifice.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, egg sandwiches are cool too, so it wasn't too bad. But...
1: your mom's like, where are the eggs? I had eggs here. I, I don't
0: think she ever cottoned them onto it, but. Um, but I, on a Friday, then we would, uh, and Newcastle Brown was like a larger bottle than a regular beer in the pub. Instead, So I thought well, I'll get, I'll, I'll get Newcastle Brown. So I get like, I could probably afford two or three bottles of that on my week's lunch money. So yeah, that was my first beer in the pub. Probably, I think probably 16 years old, trying to not to get drunk. And failing because I, I had no real experience with alcohol. And-
1: it's something that we learn uh, over time. Hopefully. We, we, it's still a learning process in some days. Uh, <laughs> how about uh, craft beer? You said that you're you're not the biggest expert, but we were, you were sipping on a stout that tasted like Nutella last night. So you, you've yeah. stepped away from the, the largest beer for the price and more yeah. towards the craft. So, to tell, tell me about that experience and how you've refined your palate, let's say.
0: Well, now 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 I've got a bit more disposable income, and I don't have to steal
1: eggs, <laughs>
0: don't have to steal eggs off my parents anymore. I can afford my normal beer. I think, yeah, I, I, it was probably quite a while ago that I stopped being like really into regular lager, and I still enjoy it when I do drink it. But I always seem to, if I'm going to have a beer, I always seem to think, oh yeah, I'll, I'll get like a stout or a porter, and um, I wonder whether or not. That's because of, on my mum's side, all my family are from Ireland, from my great-grandparents back. And so Guinness and uh, Guinness and, and Porter's um, the, the, the bottled Guinness, which was more like a fizzy porter, um, always been in the family. And my great-grandmother, who we used to call Nin, by the way, and I don't know why, it's not an Irish word, apparently, according to our drummer, Johnny, um, used to, used to call, she would always drink Guinness. She'd have a, a bottle of Guinness every day, and she lived till she was in her nineties. So uh, there's something, something in that. Um, so yeah, it's 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 kind of gone from lager when I was younger to more like porter and stout. Now I think because I don't I don't uh, I don't drink a lot anyway. So when I do drink, I want I'd like to have like a strong, heavy drink. If I'm only going to have one or two, I want it to be more of a challenge, and I find um, find that porter and um, stout tend to be just a little bit, a little bit different.
1: They're definitely heavier beers for sure, and more yeah. filling, and uh, yeah. the ABV is slightly higher than a lager, let's say. But in the whole hazy IPA world, it's I, ABVs are extremely high now so yeah <laughs> it doesn't fall yeah. into that same category but that's mm-hmm. cool and and you know again it's a Guinness day sounds like yeah. a good a good way to yeah. go
0: it, it, it would be a good way to go i have a day job at the moment so probably not, not i wouldn't be, they wouldn't allow that me to do that in the home office but I'll, uh, maybe at some point i'll try and get away with it after i resign um but yeah another i i do actually really like uh belgian beers as well and, and that sort of that. Like, um, I was introduced to them in a serious way. We played in a m- uh, magazine uh, for Catra once when we played in uh, Brussels, Brussels, and we played there with a band called The Moth. And I'd had, like, a Belgian beer or two here and there up until this point, but after the show, me and uh, Freyden, their guitarist, vocalist, uh, just sat at the bar. We were staying in the accommodation within the venue, and the bar's, like, you know, like a, like a DIY venue actually really big if you i don't know if you've pl- ever played there or been there for a show
1: I'm, i've definitely played brussels i'm not sure if i played that venue
0: yeah it's really awesome and um so we was at the bar and we were just drinking like Chimay blue or um uh, um we were um Chouffe um and the the, the the triple beers and I, I don't know how many we had but like Freyden's Freyden speaks very good english he's german he speaks very good english but his, I noticed that his ability to speak English sort of started to desert him as the night went on. <laughs> Eventually, he was just making these like clicking noises instead of actual <laughs> words. Because he cause, cause he a little bit drunk, and maybe I was also drunk, and I making more of this than it actually was at the time. But my recollection was that he would like, couldn't think of the words for what he was trying to say. And then we just been making these clicking sounds. And then as the night wore on, most of what he was saying was clicking noises instead of actually words <laughs> it was insane all because of that beer
1: I, I have similar experiences we we typically play belgium and then the next day for some reason the next show is london oh yeah yeah. yeah. typically this is the the routing that happens for some reason and every time we wake up in belgium flow our drummer Leader of the band looks to us all and says, "Don't get too drunk tonight because we're taking the ferry tonight." And every single time, yeah, <laughs> the Belgian no beers get us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so, they're just so nice. I mean, the
0: hangover is terrible, but if you get hangovers but um, dear God, but it's just something. There's something I just like intense flavored beer, which is probably why I gravitate towards stout porter.
1: Very, very cool. Um, the soundtrack, your youth classic Vox and Hops question, I'd love to hear about. Uh, when you were not in control of the music at home, what music did your parents or guardians listen to?
0: Um, I, you know, I didn't get a lot of music from my parents, honestly. But my recollection was my dad would listen to the, this band called the Traveling Wilburys. Do you remember them? I think it was like a super group. With um, Roy Orbison and a few of the other people of his generation, like a a guitar rock band. And I I can't remember all the members now, but it was kind of like Roy Orbison style sort of light rock. And uh, my dad listened listened and listens to that kind of stuff a lot. And um, my mum was more of a Motown person. Then I remember in my nan and granddad's house when they were um, sorting through some of the loft after my nan passed away, we found like a a box of old records, like the Supremes and the Four Tops and um, Diana Ross and stuff like that, all like original vinyl. I don't know where that is now. That could have been worth a few quid, but um, yeah, it was like it was a a mixture of those two things. I also remember the song "Running Up That Hill" by Kate Bush.
1: Very popular now. You're you're on trend now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah totally.
0: yeah yeah i need to get my uh my um, baseball shirt on with whatever that club is that they were all a member of exactly the <laughs> hellfire club um yeah and um yeah i remember that you used, used to listen to kate bush a lot um so that was what my parents were really into but i mean if you want to just widen this slightly my my neighbor up the my friend's father up the road I actually remember around the same, when I started becoming aware of like music, really like um, records and stuff. And I distinctly remember he had um, uh, Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast. I must've been five or six at the time. And I remember distinctly it it left an impression on me because I remember the album cover being a bit like, what was this? It looked a bit scary. And uh, and that, that was that at that age. I didn't listen to it. I don't think. And, uh, but I remember now as an adult, like remember now seeing that album cover as a child, and maybe that left, maybe that planted the seed um, within me for metal. The you know, curiosity, but, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like it, like then it scared me a little bit. So I think as an adult, I keep going back to try and be intimidated more by music. And I think that's what kind of led me from Bon Jovi to Metallica to Sepultura to. Um, side and and so on
1: Down the rabbit hole we both went yeah. A similar story yeah. I, I've said On the podcast before I was getting babysat And Tim Donnelly Shout out to Tim Donnelly Had a, an Alice Cooper poster in his room And I was terrified But I, I must have been three, four And I have a vivid memory of Being very intimidated by this poster and it's the same sort of at the video store we need to go to the 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 horror section back when there was vhs's in places and just looking and perusing these movies that i would never rent because i was terrified of them but totally intrigued by
0: the same yeah movies that used to terrify me with zombie movies i used i used to i mean to the point where i was actually terrified of like the idea that there could be such a thing as a zombie in real life I remember as a 12, 13, my my friend David Jenkins, uh, not on Facebook, by the way, I've searched for him, but I had a friend then called David Jenkins, and his sister, I think, had this movie called Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things on VCR, and I remember this was like a horror zombie movie about they found someone in the woods, they took this corpse back to the house, put it in bed upstairs and it was then attracting all the other corpses to the house. And the movie was about them surviving, you know, as these zombies try and attack them all. And I remember the the scene at the end where the the guy, everyone else has been killed and he just throws himself off the, off the first floor, like sort of banister, if you call it that in in Canada, into the zombies, just because he thought I'm not going to live here. I'll just throw myself into the, and let them eat me. Remember that being really a bleak ending to a movie so, yeah, children shouldn't play with dead things. But, yeah, um, like you were just saying they're looking at the back cover of the of the videos in the video store and being like, oh, my God, that, I literally could not cope with that movie. I remember, like, looking at Halloween or Friday the 13th and just thinking, I don't think I could handle that. And I, even to this day, I'm not great with horror movies generally don't know why just can't get
1: it i follow there's nothing cool anymore that's new right there's a few that stand out nowadays and i won't name them cuz well there's there's very one side or the other, controversial sort of what good horror is nowadays, but uh, I totally agree. Um, I'm, I, I'd am i i more rather like a fantasy type thing to let my mind loose than, than some, I, there's nothing original anymore, and that's the issue with, with life, right, and, and creative stuff, that's why they're rehashing everything. Do you remember your first live music experience, the first show that you went to go see?
0: First time I ever saw a band live was probably... Uh, if I recall correctly, it would have been a band called Ash, and they they were a band that I listened to a lot when I was 16, 17, and um, they, they were sort of like pop, punk sort of type of music, and I remember going on the train to Manchester to see them with my girlfriend at the time, and I... Yeah, I, I remember that was that was that was probably them. They had a song called "A uh, Girl from Mars," which I remember was quite a big hit for them in relative terms. And um, yeah, they're, they're, I don't listen to them now much, to be honest. I find them quite annoying when I listen to them now. <laughs> but they, they, they were probably the first the, the first live band that I'd seen. I mean, by that point, I was already like completely into like um, Helmets and. Fudge Tunnel and uh, like Nirvana and stuff like that. You know, I'd already gone into that kind of music. So they were quite light, really, for, for me at the time. But I, I, I still remember I still remember going to that show and thinking, oh, yeah, this is cool. But it didn't give me the same buzz as going like when I first saw, I don't know, when I saw Fu Manchu play live for the first time after obsessing over them for years. And I was like, whoa, this is like amazing you know when I watched Ash it was kind of like a different vibe and I was with my girlfriend so obviously just making out all night was whatever whatever we did whatever we did back then (laughs) at 60.
1: I love it. Do you remember your first time on stage? Mm.
0: I do um first time well the first show I ever played actually yeah the first time I played on stage was probably in like a, a small social club near to where I lived in uh, Crosby, which is a small part of Liverpool. And we rented this like social club up the road um, called the Crosby Social Club, if I remember rightly. And uh, (laughs) we rented it, told everyone in the local bar that we were going to play. My band at the time was called Release. Uh, And that was the first time we actually played on stage. So we played like one or two of our own songs and then we played a few covers. So of course those covers were... The sort of music that we collectively thought would be a good idea at the time. So we were doing like, um, like Green Day, Basket Case, and uh, Nirvana, and Breed, you know, a couple of the songs, and we did a couple of our own songs. I recall it being actually kind of cool, and it was really, really busy. And uh, I thought, oh wow, this is great. This being in the band's really awesome. We we even like we <laughs> put up, we put on the show and charged people to come in. And uh, so everyone finished in the pub, which is called the Berkey, uh, the Birkenhead Arms, I think it's called. And um, everyone came down to this um, social club, like a 10-minute walk straight after the show on a Friday night. And it was was absolutely heaving. And we played this show, I don't know, played about half an hour, 40 minutes. And it was cool. Uh, I, I don't remember too much about the performance, probably terrible. But I just remember this feeling of, oh yeah, this is it. We're playing shows. The first show we actually ever played was a couple of weeks before this, in on the on the top floor of our local McDonald's, because that's that's where I worked at the time. And our manager at the time, Neil McClelland, not manager. We didn't have a manager then. Our bass player at the time, Neil McClelland, was one of the managers in McDonald's. So. When we weren't up all night, getting up to no good, like after hours in the restaurant, you know, drinking and whatnot, um, making food or whatever, you know, things we shouldn't have been doing in the restaurant after hours, we we just um, arranged this, like, show, and about four or five of the existing staff members came and sat and were having a few drinks, and then we played a show, and I remember the snare drum stand broke so we use like a plastic tub that the cloths normally got stored in as a snare
1: <laughs> amazing you're there. There's this thing that circulates on the internet about the band playing in a Denny's. I don't know if you've seen this. It's like a hardcore band. Been. So you got you guys were doing this way before that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's been done. We, we've done that, and you know, bought and made, made the movie, bought the t-shirts. It's, it's, we're way past that now. <laughs> I like it. I think the ch- one of the challenges is to, is to have a show on a plane. No one's
1: ever done Ooh, that. Either. Challenge accepted. Let's let's do yeah. it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm totally up for it.
1: Let's book it. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I'm from Montreal. This is a heavy Montreal Presents Vox and Hops episode. Montreal has such a vivid, rich musical experience. I grew up here with the possibility in my mind that it was obtainable to become a touring musician. It it didn't seem out of reach, touring, uh, practicing in Cité des Mille. You know, you walking down the halls before I was in Cryptopsy, I would see members of Cryptopsies go by. I would see Cataclysm, I would see Despised Icon. It seemed obtainable. Being from Liverpool, obviously one of the biggest bands in the world was from there, from a different generation, obviously. But uh, does is, was there like a vibe uh, in Liverpool that, that you could become a famous musician or a accomplished musician?
0: Um, yeah, there was. And, uh, um and Matt, all it, it was all I wanted to do since the age of 16.
1: Since that show. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, since then. And I was just starting to pick up the guitar then. I remember a guy in a leather jacket shop in Manchester showed me how to play, showed me how to play power chords. Yeah, my granddad saved up pennies and five pence pieces and he gave me £100 on my birthday. And I took it to this leather guitar shop. And I remember the guy must have been talking to me about music or whatever. And I was saying I was into Nirvana and whatnot, but I was trying to learn the guitar and he showed me how to play a power chord. And I remember he wrote on a, on a Brown piece of paper, six strings, then one, and then two, two. And I'm like, Oh yeah. So I, then I got home and I could play a power chord then. So I, could, I, I, did, I can what do
1: what this was. everywhere. It works yeah. everywhere.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, are so you telling me smells like teen spirit? That's all this is. And yeah. that's what that was like a big light bulb moment for me. So, When I started to sort of, when I got a band together, after telling my mate Will Halliday over chips, curry sauce, and fried rice at lunch one day, and while we should have been in school, I'm going (laughs) to be in a band, you know, when I'm older. And I I, 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 kind of promised myself, and I've I've stuck to it. But I remember when we were practicing in uh, Crash Studios in Liverpool, just off Dale Street, and um, I remember this one time, uh one of the guys, I think it may have been Lee or, or, or Brian, I'm not sure, from Cathedral used to they were rehearsed there sometimes. I remember him coming in barefoot into the into the bar area where you could get like a can of coke or whatever. And I remember th- looking at him and thinking, Whoa, this like those guys like obviously walking around here barefoot, they obviously they must feel pretty comfortable here. And asking the guy behind the the, the the bar, like who's I think his name was Matt or something. Maybe it was Tony, I'm not sure. That would have been a coincidence, wouldn't it, if it was your name? But he was like, um, yeah, he was like, uh, oh, that's that's Cathedral. I was like, oh, shit, okay. And i just heard about them because I was starting to get into more, like, sort of heavier music, Black Sabbath and stuff like that. And I knew that they were somewhere aligned to that. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah. So and then then not so long after that, I remember Anathema's, like, road cases were in the doorway because that's where they rehearse to sometimes. Yeah, and... Uh, I remember I just started to think like you know this is what I want to do, you know, and and that feeling has never left me. You know, that hunger that I had then, like I didn't know how to do it then. Now, now I feel as though I've got a bit more of an idea. Obviously, now I've been on the road a bit, and you know, we're kind of reasonably confident that we'll get to go on the road again soon. You know, we've got tours in the diary and and all that kind of thing. But yeah, I remember, I, from a very early age, I just knew. That I wanted to do it. I, I didn't know how I was going to do it at all, but I just knew that this 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 is something I can hang my hat on, and it's something that I want to do. I'll I'll do it around my career if I have to, but really this is this is what I want to do full time. And really, yeah, everything I've done in my life since then has sort of been with that in mind. You know, like the careers that, that I worked in human resource management and was you know quite a senior position. But that was built up, in, and in the back of my mind, I knew that I didn't want to do that, and as soon as I could jump from that to music full-time, I was going to, and I did, in 2013. And it was only because of lockdown I had to take on a day job again, In so I went from 2013 to um, May 2021, just full-time in music without having to take on a day job, so I am pretty, felt pretty proud of myself for that, but obviously then... Bills pile up and everything, and lockdown. So I had, to, I had to take on a day job with the with the government in the UK of all things. So, but yeah, I, I from a very early age, that's all I wanted to do. Um, but I remember now that sense of adventure back then, not knowing, like, how am I going to do this? How who do I talk to? How do I ever get to play outside of Liverpool? What venues do I go and give my demo to in Liverpool? I had no idea. There was no structure. And I remember on the bar in Liverpool, there was this little A5 booklet, like an industry guide. And in there was like your thumb through and it was just the names of all like artist managers and record labels and venues and promoters. And with the names like a, like a small telephone book. I don't remember if it had their number in there or just their address or both. I'm not sure. But I remember that was the industry guide and you could buy it with like five or 10 quid and it would be updated every year. And like that, that then planted a seed for what we mentioned earlier. And um, I always just knew like I wanted to sort of always interested in the business side of music, but I just, I just knew that I, I, I want to do music full time. And i tell you one thing which really sparked my interest as well is the video for um, live tonight sold out um, Nirvana video that they brought out. And uh, I remember being just really, attracted to that like being in a van on the road the van might break down tomorrow but I don't care might get a blown the time might get a blowout but I don't care I'm just I'm on the road doing my own thing and I'm like touring and playing my music to people who don't know me and I think it was that sense of sort of adventure and showing off like playing your music to people who like the the idea that someone in another country or another town would have bought music that i've made and would be excited about me and my band going to travel to where they are to play and they would buy a ticket and come and see us and spend their time that was something to me i just i knew i just wanted that just i just wanted to 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 do music and it equally to do with the expression of being able to um like create something you know from from an early age i've always been like singing into a microphone like recording it on my dad's stereo just singing nonsense and then playing it back to hear how it sounded so i kind of I, I think it's kind of always been something i've been into i don't know what i don't really know what the first spark was just just something something just made me realize that this is what i want to do and i've i've stuck to it so i'm i'm pretty proud of
1: that absolutely amazing uh when something as you said it had a flash if if you are on the road now and there is a blowout what is your mentality in that moment do you do you go back to that sense of adventure or are you like fuck we're gonna miss this gig <laughs> do you have to yeah. mentally remind yourself no no I'm, I'm supposed to really enjoy this moment
0: <laughs> yeah yeah we've we've actually we've had a few blowouts and a few a few moments like that we've never actually had to cancel the show though because of them fortunately but yeah, we we've I remember one time when we had a we had a burst tire on our way to um in France. Fortunately, it was on a day off. I remember one time we were in Bozeman, Montana, and we were we were traveling in through the hills there on our way on our way to Bozeman, sorry, from Salt Lake City, and I remember that we crashed into a, a snowbank in, in in the hills. You know, God knows what was on the other side of that snowbank. I don't like to think about it. And I remember sitting there thinking people being quite relaxed about it. And exactly like you mentioned earlier on, it's like, even if I freeze to death, there's a lot better than sitting in the office getting told off because I didn't hit my targets. You know, it's like, at least this is what I was meant to do. If I, if I die doing it, then so be it. You know, you know, I don't, I I don't, I'd rather, I'd rather live for for 20 years on, on the planes being free than live 50 years sat in a cage in a zoo and I, I guess that's that's how I, 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 I think about life sometimes. But yeah, fortunately, we've not had anything that's been life-threatening or anything that's made us give up uh, one of our shows, fortunately, because I have seen other bands... Um, sadly, have, have had those issues, but we touch wood, we've avoided it so far.
1: Absolutely, and I agree, touch wood for, for both of our careers, because I haven't had yeah. to cancel much either. <laughs> Evidence of immortality, perfect transition, I like that. Um, <laughs> new yeah, records came out to be a napalm on August 19th. Banger of a record, I really enjoy it. Um, something that really rings true about Conan, and I mentioned it earlier, is the, the the fact that you guys work internally a lot, you work with the same visual artist the whole time, Anthony Roberts. I think that's so cool. It Continuous, it's like a part of the band. I love that. The production is all handled by Chris, uh, the basis of the band. And t- talk to me about keeping everything within house and uh, having basically the identity of Conan being more than just the sum of its musicians.
0: Yeah, I, I th- we 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 have a settled team, and I think that is something that I've always always been keen on because it gives it, it's it's a we have a sense of familiarity it's, we have a sense of consistency and the only thing that really we have to worry about is writing the music you know in a way tony's always there we don't we know we don't need to write an album and think hmm, who we're going to get to do the art this time we know that we don't have to think about shit. where are we going to record who would produce this and then obviously with the mastering, we all, we've been using James Plockin. Uh, I say using, we've been working with James Plockin on, on every album um, so far. And James is like an, an amazing um, mastering engineer, you know, from his time incarnate, he understands like heavy and low frequencies and stuff, which is why we went to him. And, uh, he has, um, been, been brilliant. Uh, and I like I like this. It almost feels like a family kind of atmosphere. Like you know, when we got an album, I know when to interact with these people along the journey we have with an album. Like Tony likes to get involved relatively early in the writing process because a lot of the ideas he has are sparked directly by what we are doing in the studio. So, like if we're like slow with bringing demos or lyrics to him. It really has an impact upon the artwork that he creates, and um, whilst that might be, uh, whilst that might be cause a little bit of inertia, it at the same time it's right, really organic because it 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 we feel as though like well if 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 we're not how can we expect him to come up with something awesome if the reference point isn't true. Like, if we're, like, expecting him to come up with, like, a a, cla- a a good Conan album cover, or he hasn't heard the new album yet, or he hasn't, how How is that possible? Uh, and I see a lot with people sort of selling their artwork online or... Yeah, you know, this is, yeah. This
1: is your, ways logo, your logo here.
0: Exactly. And I'm like, oh, that kind of doesn't... That might be cool for some people. Fair enough. I respect people's differences, but... For me, I, I like having Tony along with us for the ride. He's like a member of the band almost. And um, I know it brings with it a kind of sort of a pressure that I enjoy. Like, I'm not just writing music for us in the band. It's also for Tony so he can make the artwork cool. So that's great. I mean, obviously, it's it's not the same with James in a way because he doesn't get involved at all until we've mixed the album and then it goes across to him. Of course, having Chris in the band um chris joined the band after we recorded blood eagle and uh, phil decided to leave so chris has been in the band since early 2013 so that level of consistency in having like someone else in the band who understands the sound is incredibly um it it, it's it, 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 it it offers a lot of it it steadies the ship a lot and i think because of that we've been able to write music that is sort of varies a bit, but is still quite consistent in structure and everything else. We've experimented a little bit here and there, but having Chris in the band and he's always got his producer's head on when we're jamming and when we're writing songs. So he'll always tell me if, oh, actually that's shit. Don't That's no good or whatever. And I really appreciate that because I know that he's not just saying it because he's grumpy. He's saying it because he can imagine how that will sound when we come to record it in the studio. And um, that's that. That's something that is really good for us, too. Um, it, you know, slightly wider than that. We've been on the same label now since... Um, two, well, we signed with Napalm in 2012 after we released Monos. Um, and uh, this album, we, we've not had any negotiations yet on extending our relationship beyond this album. So right now, we're, I guess we're a free agent, if that's how it's seen. Um, so, But having Napalm as our label for all that time, again... Gives consistency, gives us a sense of sort of feeling settled. Um, you know, I never really wanted to be on a different label for every album. That to me just seemed like a weird way of doing it. So having like a long relationship in Napalm, especially a label of the, I mean, they're quite a big label, they're a very big label. So to to have um, to have them sort of supporting us in on a promotional side, you know, when the album comes out, do a lot, they're very good at the promo side of it you know hooking me up with the interviews with people like yourself and um getting like really cool exposure for the album like you know you might not get that with other labels and i think over time obviously they trust us so they will invest that time and effort in arranging things like this for us and um all all of these things you might not you might not sort of appreciate their impact individually but collectively sort of like it's made us what we are now you know like from where we joined in 2012 to where we, you know, where we are now, the difference is is huge. And I don't think that's just because we're still together after all that time. I think it's because of we've sort of had this process or this strategy, um, which wasn't really deliberate at first, but over time it's become obvious, is to have like a, a, a consistent team alongside us. You know, Marie, our tour manager, she's been with us since 2012 as well yeah she's french she lives in germany she's in america she's where is she now i don't even know where she is now she travels a lot so (laughs) she's somewhere she's somewhere in the world she's alive i know that much because she was on facebook earlier so she travels a lot we were just in brazil brazil a couple of weeks ago in sao paulo she's there with us just happened to be in sao paulo for a couple of weeks to hang out with us and be at the show and uh she's on tour now another band will see her on wednesday in manchester so having having these connections is good on a professional level also on a personal level. It makes the band more than just a band. You know, we've got all these people that we all, we, we care about them. You know, Tony's our friend, Marie's our friend, Chris is in the band. So he's a friend and a colleague. And, um, I don't know, it, it makes the whole experience really enjoyable for me because I feel like settled. I feel like this is like, uh, we're collectively a team and that really helps because um, I think if, if, I, if I felt like it was just me and I had to find a new label every album or I had to find a new artist, there'd be no consistency there. I mean, just look at Iron Maiden. If you're talking about artwork, they got the, you know, that the, the Eddie theme since day one, I guess. And uh, we've had this, you know, the same guy on our album cover, which we sort of called him the Sentinel for, just couldn't think of a better name, to be honest. But he's kind of always been there as well. And I don't know if that was Tony's idea at first or not. Um, but I don't know, th- we wouldn't have had that if we'd have switched artists every album. You know, and I don't think we'd, I guess we've got like a reputation for being heavy or whatever. I'm not sure we'd have that same level of reputation for being a heavy band if we'd have switched producers every time, or if we'd have switched mastering people every time. I don't know. I, I just enjoy the consistency because I know then that if we lose out in any way, it's because the music was no good, which is on me or on, on the band. The other guys are consistent and very professional. So I, I guess I just, I don't like changing things too much.
1: It's the uh, tying back to that uncertainty that we were talking about earlier about the beginning of the pandemic. You, you, you've cut out all the uncertainties when it comes to Conan. The only thing you have to focus on is writing good music.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And th- that's hard enough. It is hard enough. And um, I, think, I think people take that for granted when they hear an album. Is just how much it takes out of the people oh, yeah. who write an album. I, I mean, honestly, I don't particularly enjoy writing music. For the the most part, I enjoy jamming and coming up that like, oh yeah, this is cool. That, that bit's amazing. But like sitting there and thinking, okay, so what comes after this verse? Where do we go with the riff next? All of that, I find like, it feels like I'm giving birth, you know, it's just kind of like, I find it difficult actually. So when it's all recorded and the drums are down, it's only at that point that I really start to enjoy it. Like I love going in the studio then. And, you know, setting the amps up and and then recording guitars, even though it's a, even though it's like kind of like a stiff process, then I still enjoy that. But all the way up until then, sort of the writing, which is the looser kind of, more fun bit in most people's eyes i i'm not sure i enjoy it the same i don't know why
1: mm. well i know uh, once the drums are done it's the song structure is set in stone right so there's there's no ambiguity of wh- where the riffs are going to go at that point because it's going this way because that's been done <laughs> the album's written we can just record it up until
0: the drums are recorded it's kind of not written yet that's how i see it uh
1: you mentioned recording um, remotely for the first time it was it was for evidence of immortality
0: yeah, we didn't record remotely. We wrote it. If I if ah, I said record, okay. that was that was my bad. That was a mistake.
1: Maybe I misheard. You. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, it's okay. Uh, we 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 wrote it remotely,
1: which is strange too, because you you typically would have done it in a room together.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. I have. Um, I mean, I'm sat now on my computer desk. I've got like a, a couple of small studio monitors. Um, I've got a, you know a, 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 an input device, and I'll sit. I would sit here and I'd play along to a drum machine come up with a riff, you know, if I was... Prior to the pandemic, I was doing a lot of engraving writing with um, with um, Easy Drummer. So I was writing songs along to a drum machine because that's how I was going to be a drum machine to me. And so in the pandemic for Conan, I started using a drum machine to work on riffs. So obviously Johnny couldn't be here. He lives in Dublin, so he wasn't allowed to fly over here um, for the most part. We got together once or twice, but... For the most part, it weren't allowed. Um, so I would I would work on with a drum machine here, and, and, I, and then I would come up with li- like whole songs sometimes, and then I would send them over to Johnny and Chris, and then they would like tell me if they liked it or not.
1: That's a scary moment eh, when you send off a file like that, and you're waiting for them yeah. to respond versus seeing someone's I'm facial like- reaction. You're gonna jam exactly. <laughs>
0: Sort of like on Facebook, you're like praying in some way. please like it. No, you see like
1: the that they've seen it, you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: I them for two days and I'm like, oh my God, you feel like hate it. it. Yeah. Just be <laughs> honest, guys. You know, that's what I, I did that a lot, you know. I, I mean, I must have probably 50 ideas that I came up in lockdown. Not of whole songs, but like a riff or a passage or a, a transition from a riff to a, another riff. And uh, at one point I bought Johnny an um, electric drum kit. And we tried, like I would write a riff and I would send it to him with the time signature and, the, and the, the the tempo. And then he would then load that in his, in his Reaper on his computer. And then he would set the tempo. But if we found that it was like distorting, it was like time stretching the guitar riff and it was, it was didn't work for us. So um, we dropped the idea and I think he broke like the snare drum or something like that. Cause he hits me. hits pretty hard, but, we got we got we, did, we got like one or two cool things from it, but um, yeah, we we eventually we came up with like a collection of riffs and songs. Which when we finally started to get in the same room, um, I think it was like November two thousand and twenty-one, uh, last year. Uh, we um, we found ourselves writing the songs actually pretty quick because we'd had all of that time together before um, in. Uh, Online, sort of sharing ideas, that the songs came together pretty fast, uh, which I think was something I didn't expect. I expected it to be a real chore putting the album together in the studio. Thought it was going to be really difficult for us, but but I was like, oh yeah, remember that riff? And then I play it on guitar in the studio in front of like a full stack, and I was like, oh my god, this sounds so good. And I'd slow it down a bit, and I'd be like, Johnny, you play along, and I'm like, I've got goosebumps now, just Amazing. like playing it. And that that happened a lot because sitting in front of the computer, and I don't have the computer very loud because we've got neighbours, you know, it's like, it sounds okay here, but but to a drum machine, you know. Um, Easy Drummer brought out a Conan drum sample. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I forget the drummer's name now, but he's from uh, from Scandinavia, um, Sweden, I think, Um, in a a death metal band there. And, again, I forget the name. But um, he... uh, yeah, I did like a just like you can get you can like download like the Conan drums on. So of course I did that. I bought the the, the pack and was writing riffs along, along to that. And I that was kind of a weird thing to do. But it, that was cool. You know, a lot of those ideas made it on the album,
1: you know, which was great. Very, very interesting. We we tried writing on Zoom altogether. It was a nightmare. <laughs> it was <'Cause> a... <laughs> slightly, slightly out from one another. Ah, uh, well, we, we typically write just riffs type thing is how cryptopsy puts stuff together for our new album and uh, we we did a few sessions it was it was it was not the most fun but we we had to try right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. of
0: course yeah I'll, i mean you, you can say then that you you you've you have given it a go you know
1: you don't let it mm-hmm. you know well, right well, then best. we quickly got a room together and <laughs> it ended up working out better that way And we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows... You should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxenhops.com slash summer, and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxenhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. There is like a bright future... For death metal, there's a whole bunch of like these new younger bands. I'll name a few now, such as like Sanguisuga, Bob, Frozen Soul, Two Hundred Stab Wounds, Undeath. Of uh, just just so many young bands that are waving the death metal flag. So I I am very confident that when bands such as mine and others from the '90s generation are no longer there, these younger bands will be pushing death metal to the masses is that happening with doom
0: um yeah there are there are, there are plenty of bands who are, are coming through who are younger than me they all seem younger than me now <laughs> uh, uh I, you put me on the spot by naming them and I, honestly i couldn't name that many of them elder druid are a cool band they from over in um in belfast um my friend jake plays in that band you've got Tuscar. They're a great uh, two-piece band from London. In fact, their drummer's our UK booking agent, Tyler. I'm sure he'll, he'll be delighted that I've given him a mention here. So, yeah, the, 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 there's always a, a consistent flow of bands coming through. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't get out to shows all that often, honestly, but when we play festivals, I am always very keen to watch the other bands and, uh, you know, noticing that noticing the other bands, that you know, bands that I didn't recognise or I didn't know of that are coming through, you know, I mean, a, a band that's really hitting it big now is uh, Green Lung. They're another band from London, like, sort of, like, a bit like Pallbearer, I guess.
1: Okay, interesting.
0: That, they're, like, that kind of doom, you know, mm-hmm. like, so sort of, they can actually play their guitars, whereas <laughs> I, I, like, to think of ourselves as being, like, just, like, super simple, heavy, um, but, like, more influenced by the likes of Nail bomb or Fudge Tunnel, that, 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 that's where our idea of doom metal comes from. You know, we're not like a Sabbath tribute band or anything like that. So yeah, there's like lot there are lots of cool bands coming through. Um and you know, I think like when we're dead and gone, you know, the doom metal will will be will carry on in Rude Health. The same way it did before we came around, you know, you forgetting the likes of Cathedral, um, Electric Wizard, you know, they they trouble and you know, lots of cool bands are already in place when we started thinking about doing this. So yeah, it's 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 a, it's a, a genre of music that has been healthy for a long time, and I'm I'm glad for it. I guess it's become a little bit more like popular now. I mean, there are like bigger festivals now that are they've got like a stage that will be dedicated to just kind of do metal or that kind of music. You know, Hellfest have the or the Temple stage, isn't it? And, um, you know, we've headlined the Sophie Lancaster stage of Bloodstock. You know, and we've travelled. We've travelled all, o- all over the world, playing what you know the industry recognises as do metal. It's cool. You know, it, it's uh, for a band that uh, I think for a band at our level probably wouldn't have been able to do that prior to the onset of the internet, because I think it, I think there were less bands that got recognised enough to go and tour properly. I think now. There are more bands, and naturally, there are more bands that labels take a chance on, and there are more bands that get to play festivals and travel. I feel like music now is there's a lot more money in it. Like, generally, I don't know, I think shows are quite well attended. And I I, I just what I'm trying to say is that I I, I don't think we would have been able to enjoy the traveling and what that we've done if we'd have came around um maybe in the 90s for example when you know it was more difficult to get noticed i think i think then bands that bands that became successful in that era sort of achieve, um it was more difficult for them so i kind of really respect that you know there are, there are, there are way more bands now so many that doesn't mean that they're all awesome though that's true um so but i think back then those bands that did make it through we're all awesome, and I, that's how I kind of see it. I don't know whether that's the right way of saying it, but
1: they definitely had to fit within a mold to make it back then. Nowadays, there's, it's a, because the internet is the power. The fans are in control of what they're consuming with streaming. It's easier for people to listen to exactly what they want to, and there's a lot to listen to, and it's not all good. You're right about, that. <laughs> but one person might like it though. <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and it's it, it, it's true. I think I think. And I think the reason why it's okay to say what we've just said is because there are just way more bands. So, of course, of course, there's good and bad. When there were less bands that, that you took notice of, then they were probably amazing to get to that point anyway. To get to, to, get to the point where Kerrang would write about Bolt Thrower, there were probably 50 other bands who probably were trying to get there but never did. Whereas now, you'll hear about Bolthrower thrower and all of those 50 other bands have got a Facebook page.
1: That's true. And it's like similar artists. If you like boat thrower, you may like,
0: yeah. And there's a big stream of them. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's cool. It's actually really good because we get, there's more opportunities for bands to go on tour. And I mean, just last week we were in Poland two weeks. Uh, sorry. The week before that, we were in Sao Paulo this weekend. We've got a weekend off and with the kids, and my wife, Next weekend, I'm in France. Me and my wife are going to France. To, we're playing, but my wife's going to come with us for the trip. And we got, you know, we've got other bits and bobs coming through between now and the end of the year. So I think it's created more opportunity, the fact that the internet has made things just wider.
1: 100%. Um, maybe you talk about the, the management thing. Let's go back to that uh, managing bands. I wonder if your time working in HR really had an impact on knowing how to be a good manager. Um, in, I guess in some
0: ways, yeah. The, the HR management role was less about dealing with individual people, more about dealing with processes. Uh, when I worked in HR, it was more to do with making sure that the organization didn't dismiss people the wrong way. ah, Like, did did they have the right letter? You know, did they, rather than dealing with an individual person's issues, which you did from time to time, because if that became a grievance or an attendance problem, then you'd have, but it was, my job was more like zooming out and looking at the organization and saying, you know, is this going to cause us an issue? And I guess drawing a comparison between that and sort of like managing bands, you could say, that you, my idea for the management agency was that we would take a look at a band and sort of like, just take a snap, look at where they're at currently and just say, okay, well, you don't sell much merch. Let's focus on that for a bit. You know, you you haven't been, you've not toured outside your hometown in 12 months. You know, let's have a look at that problem. And just taking like a holistic approach to it, if that's the right word, like looking at the band as a whole and saying what's good, what's not, rather than a band sending me an email and saying will you speak to tony for me i want an endorsement with orange you know i was like i was more like okay let's look at let's look at at things in general for you and i think i think that is because of my my work in hr i think is looking at you know taking a a, 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 like a a zoomed out sort of view of the band and that was what i hoped to do i mean the, the agency didn't really last all that long to be honest with you i'm not sure that that was what was demanded from us, so we didn't, you know, we didn't. We, we we tried for a little while, and we you know worked with some cool bands and arranged some cool stuff. But um yeah, I said maybe it wasn't. It was. We had we had lots of bands who wanted to work with us, but I, I found it was for us to charge the amount of money that made it like a, a good business proposition. It didn't really sit well with the bands that we were working with because a lot of those bands who came to us were small to medium sized bands who of course don't have a lot of disposable income. And you know
1: And the percentage of anything is a lot at that level.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we you know, we we would charge you know fifty dollars a month. You know, we'll help you with any problems you've got for fifty dollars a month. And we'll try and sort of help you get set up in certain areas. And after a while, it became that we had like a million bands who wanted to work for fifty dollars yeah. a month. It's just—it's <laughs> not realis- it's, realistic for you. No, <laughs> uh, uh, exactly. And I, I've got to manage my own band too, so on my own life around that. So it's yeah, it, it just quickly became un- untenable. So we just—it's on ice at the moment. It, the websites still learn stuff will
1: still work with. But now, now the software that you that you're working on.
0: Yeah. So in in around about may two two 2020 i um i'd had an idea for six months prior to that for this thing called scene gen we were going to call it a tour book at that
1: point but based on clear. that book based on that book that you had in that bar yeah
0: exactly uh so the inspiration behind it was exactly that particular that that book uh, the industry guide and also this um you may have heard of it called is um like a a paper, a printed magazine, a DIY magazine called "Book Your Own Fucking Life."
1: No, that's a, that's a great name. No, it's a great name.
0: <laughs> if you get a chance, it's really fascinating. Read. You look up uh, "Book Your Own Fucking Life" on um, Google or whatever search engine you use. Well, we all use Google now, don't we? Let's face it. But um, and it was, uh, I think every six to three to six months, there was um a magazine printed, and it was like. Just alphabetical order, you know, Cleveland, Ohio, record labels and it'd be a list really? of all the
1: records. Um, booking agents, managers, booking,
0: yeah. Uh basement shows. And if you I'm were lazy. like heading to Cleveland and your show was pulled, well, I'll give like I'll give this guy a ring and because he, he, he's on here as someone who'll let him sleep on his couch. You know, that kind of thing. Amazing. So it was like an industry guy, but really targeted at, you know, specific regions, so you could almost pick it up and it'd be just like a uh like, like the phone book. In a way for the for the industry, and uh, nothing like that has ever been around. You know, it never it was never digitalized. They tried, but then didn't. Nothing came of it. And uh, I, I, but like having that management agency, and I just got to thinking that it'd be cool to sort of bring back that kind of thinking, but make it an online software platform that everyone can log into and you know we can cuz you networking on facebook is is no good you know now you go on facebook within 2 minutes you're looking at reels over and over again cuz they're <laughs> weird
1: and if if you're not connected to a person they're not going to see the message so 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 many times I'll send I won't even send a person a message unless we're connected or I have someone make an introduction in a messenger feed for me. Cause then I know the person's going to see it to write a dead end, like message to someone, it goes into the void of this other folder. And if they don't sit there and go through it and being who we are, we have thousands of people that write it. sometimes it gets lost. So I, I think it's a really good idea.
0: Yeah. And thank you. And, um, it's something that, you know, it, we've been working on it since, I mean for about six months I had this idea in my head and I did work with someone to do like a very basic version of it then May 2000 my friend Morton from Copenhagen said to me uh, I was talking to him about it and they said let me take a look at it so I sent him like the screenshots and he was and he was like no, th- "That that's not a good idea because this and this and I was like well what what do you know and he says well I'm a I'm a software developer. I was like, no way, and I've known <laughs> Morton since 2012, and he's like a senior back-end developer for you know a digital agency in uh, in Denmark. So I said, well, do you want to come on and help me build this? So Morton came on, then we had a few other team members come on board, and now we've got a little team building this thing. And our thinking is that you know uh, I in a band would set up a profile for Conan. I would put on the system. The people that i know already and i would send them an invite so they would join as well so you'd have like the promoter that i know in brussels for example a magazine for so i'd, I'd add him to the system him or her to the system and then that's how we would converse within the system so when we're negotiating a, a show we would open up a date in the calendar and our conversation related to that show would happen in that calendar entry only there'd be no like massive um
1: messenger feed or email thread or
0: yeah with millions of different subject titles and you got to like well which email was that yeah. you know if we're talking about that show on the 4th of may you click on the 4th of may in your calendar and the latest topic the latest chat is in there and within there you would share the documents you need your profile would have your text back on it already so you didn't you put on your uh, like a, and it would look a bit like myspace your own artist profile but it would have on there all the information that the promoter would ordinarily have to chase it three or four times for.
1: Exactly. Your logo, your rider, all the, all the pertinent stuff.
0: Yeah. And then the other way with the venue, they would also have a, a, a profile on there so you'd be able to see their calendar straight away, which is handy for promoters or booking agents and they want to book Magazine 4 on the 4th of May. They would check their calendar first and then they would send them a message. So whoever had set up the profile for Magazine 4 would get a ping and be like, "Oh yeah, I've got a message there of John, the promoter, who's bringing Cryptopsy here on the fourth of December. Oh, oh, you've got availability." And then, but a lot of it would be automated, which is I'm letting the developers take care of. I'm just I'm just this mad guy who says it'd be cool if they could do this. And So, that, but we we've been developing it now for a couple of years, and um, we've uh, just a few two months ago we were invited to make a full application for a government grant. The high growth innovation fund from Liverpool City Region here. And uh we were our we were passed as eligible, which is like half the battle. So they invited us to make a full application. And um the deadline for letting letting bands know is this Friday. So we'll know either way by this Friday. Yeah, we also have a private sector do, um investor who is who's gonna match those funds as well. So we're hoping by the, by this time next week, we'll have been given the go-ahead on this grant, which means that we'll have all of this built by spring next year. Um, if we don't get the grant, then the investor still wants to work with us. But, of course, the deadline becomes a little bit softer then because we don't have this government stipulate to have it done by a certain date. But, yeah, it's all very exciting for us.
1: Very exciting. I think it's a, a great idea, and it will cut so many pointless conversations if it's just all automated, especially when booking stuff. And, and there's so many like count, like meaningless emails that we do when, when it could just automatically be somewhere, all this information. Thank
0: you. Your day sheet would become your, would the info would go from the offer into the day sheet. Both parties would be invited regularly. You haven't filled in this yet. Please fill it in. So you wake up to an email or not an email. You wake up to a message when you log in. Uh, you've not put the hotel details in, um, and you, the the booker would put that in. Uh, for the band's perspective, that you've not yet confirmed that you can – you've not confirmed your load in for half four. Is that time going to be okay for you? So then it, so on and so forth. And these all these things are automated within the system. Um, so the information that goes in the day sheet, a lot of that will go into the contract. Then on the day of the show, you'll be – you get a message saying, would you like to invoice for this show now? You click yes, invoice goes – and obviously, the promoter gets the invoice, then pay it, hopefully,
1: and uh, so on and so forth. <laughs> Sounds like uh, tour managers will love this the most because advancing tours is a fucking pain in the ass. But
0: <laughs> it, I think you're right. From from the, from, the, from from finding out who that person is in Brussels to deal with, right, all the way through to getting paid, it all happens within Scene Gen. You don't have to send your emails. You don't have to send them anything on Dropbox. You don't have to show them your Bandcamp links if you're a band trying to get a support slot. You don't have to message them on your private Facebook profile and on WhatsApp. You know, all these things you
1: don't <laughs> need to do. These I things that we are. do. That's so funny. Yeah great idea john i think it's super cool and i'm excited to see what comes with that Uh, i have one last question for you classic vox and hops wrap-up question uh you mentioned you don't drink very often but every once in a while especially when we're playing in belgium it happens to all of us what is your hangover cure
0: uh if i was in belgium probably a cold kebab or some chips and mayonnaise that would work the next day, or law pizza if there's any left in the in the room where you're sleeping. But I, you know, I'm I'm from over in the UK, so it has to be a full English breakfast. That would be the one.
1: Hell yes, John. Thank you so so much for taking the time, hanging out with me, talking about your life, music, craft beer. I had an absolute blast. Everyone, go listen to the new Conan record, Evidence of Immortality. You won't regret it. It's a it's it's a banger, man. I love it, John. Thank you so so much. Cheers.
0: Cheers, Matt. All the best. Nice to meet you.
1: Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right today. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this is an awesome conversation with John. Sometimes we just connect, and this was one of those instances. I am in love with this software idea that he's building called Scene Gen. What a better way for bands to finally take their careers into their hands. What a brilliant idea. I am 100% behind this, and I cannot wait to see where John takes this. I think it's brilliant. Everyone should be in control of their careers. Everyone should be able to connect with people and have conversations and there are far too many gatekeepers, so hopefully Scene Gen is something that cuts through that. And it's a great idea. I can't tell John that enough. Awesome conversation. Awesome idea. Massive cheers to John for hanging out with me. If you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. When you do that, you shall receive one email a month that will contain all of the details of everything that has happened recently in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. you get to see which episodes I dropped recently. You'll get to see which episodes I have coming up. you also get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently. And you will get to hear about any projects I have in the works before I announce them to the public. And I always have a lot of stuff going on. You will also get to see which albums Jerry Monk, Vox and Hops' Metal Architect, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist. Jerry has the ear for what's going on in metal. If you're looking for new music, the Brutal Awakenings playlist is what you want to be listening to. There is always a lot going on in the world of the Vox and Hops podcast, and I hate when you miss anything, so please sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hops metal podcast is brought to you by Soundtelling Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a killer weekend. I will be back next week with one Heavy Montreal Presents Vox and Hops episode on Tuesday, but until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops hits.